the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. footing in terms of fighting this virus? I do. I actually do. I'm looking at it that way because, you know, if, uh, if it got out of control, the big thing we did was a very early uh, stoppage of people coming in. It could be very, very heavily infected. Yeah, I look at it, I, I view it as a, uh, in a sense, a wartime president. I mean, that's what we're fighting. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a very tough situation. You're, you have to do things. You have to, you have to close parts of an economy that Six weeks ago, we're, we're the best they've ever been. We had the best economy we've ever had. And then one day, you have to close it down in order to defeat this enemy. And, uh, but we're doing it, and we're doing it well. And I, I tell you, the American people have been incredible. That was the president discussing his new role as a wartime president in the midst of the Wuhan Chinese coronavirus. Welcome, friends, to our latest episode of The Battle for 1600. We are here to continue giving you all the information you need, not just on what's going on with regards to the nation's response, but also the fact that life goes on, including political life. And my co-host is the person who can give us the information that we need to make sure that you don't miss a thing. He is, of course, Boris Epstein, my former White House colleague, former special assistant to President Trump, and he is a member of the Trump 2020 campaign's advisory board. Boris, how are things in the Epstein household right now? They're good, my friend. They're good. We're staying strong, wishing everybody, wishing you and your family health and safety in this tough time. We are going to pull through it. As the president said, Americans want hope. Americans want answers. That's what he said today, and that's what we're focused on. So we're pulling together. We're doing all we can and can't wait for life to get back to normal, which is what our wonderful First Lady Melania Trump talked about in her PSA yesterday. Yes, yes. I'm going to play the uh, the video, the public service announcement from Melania Trump, the First Lady, on uh, America First today because it is that good. Um, Boris, let's, let's, let's exploit your expertise from a former life straight away. So you've spent a lot of time in Wall Street, in the financial yep. world, uh, we have a lot of Republicans, myself included, who are queasy about things that they think look like or sound like big bailouts or buybacks. Uh, what is the right thing to do? What are, what are your friends in uh, the private sector in the financial market telling you with regards to what they want to see and what is Boris's gut instinct? So I appreciate you asking me. Yes, I've spent a lot of my time and still do a lot of work in terms of finance and in terms of, you know, what's going on in the world in terms of investment banking, making sure the companies have money, making sure companies have room to grow and have the ability to weather storms and crises like this one. So here's what we're seeing, Seb. We are seeing that companies are running low on cash. They're, they're running low on cash. Yes. They do two things. First, they have to lay off people. Second, they have to close. So we need to put more money into the economy. 
So the president is absolutely right. He's already done two coronavirus packages, and now there's going to be a big one, a third. That looks like it's going to be about a trillion dollars in steps. Portion of that directly to the American people, potentially another round of payments to the American people, and then money directly to businesses. But the president talked about it today. He's going to look to limit stock buybacks. He's going to look to limit executive pay for companies that take this money. And it is not going to be grants from what I'm seeing now. It's going to be loans. And everybody's all, you know, people talk a lot about the bailouts of the 2008, 2008 crisis. But here's what they don't talk about a lot. Those companies, including the car companies, and very much including the banks, they paid all that money back and they paid it with big interest. The, the, the government actually benefited from that. And the reason that you don't hear a lot about that is because it was actually Republican policy. The Democrats don't really like to mention it so much. So it was President Bush that put the bank bailout in place. And, if that, and I do believe, based on my experience as an attorney on Wall Street and working on Wall Street, that if that did not happen, our financial system was at dire risk. Right now, thankfully, we've had such a strong economy under President Trump. We've had such a strong run. We have such a strong balance sheet that we are not going, we're not at risk like we were back then. But we have to shore up our economy, and mostly our small and medium-sized businesses, because those are the ones who have less of a cash buildup to be able to spend in this crisis. Does that make sense? It does. It does. We're going to have uh, our buddy uh, Eric Bowling on America First today, and he has an ingenious idea. He's calling it Plan 2020, where if we are giving money to American families, it should be in the form of a kind of debit card that you can spend on specific things like products, like services, like food that will disappear if you don't spend it. If you don't spend it in 30 days, if you don't inject it back into the economy, you don't get to spend it. I love that idea. I'm not a finance guy. I didn't walk, work on Wall Street, but just giving away money for the sake of giving away money doesn't necessarily mean it gets into the right hands, but we shall see. We're going to ask uh, Eric, if you want the details of that interview, check out our regular show, America First. Um, Boris, we, we are here on the battle for 1600 to talk about political developments. I'd like you to, to, to give us you know, your update on what's happening to the Democrat side of things, what's happening to the, the MAGA campaign as events are being canceled. But first things first, isn't it <clears throat> interesting that the mainstream media really hasn't revised its behavior? You know, asinine, dumb questions still being asked by by uh, members of the White House press corps at a time of real national emergency. They they just want to score political points. However, however, I'd like you to react to this. We are seeing people like Nancy Pelosi's nephew, Gavin Newsom, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and the governor Cuomo, Governor Cuomo of New York saying incredibly laudatory things about the president and the federal government's response. Uh, what, how does that make you react? What, is, there, is that sign of hope that sooner or later, even those with what we have called Trump derangement syndrome will see the light of day and, and pull together? We hope so. Governor Newsom has been very laudatory to President Trump. So has Governor Cuomo. At times, there's been some back and forth, but Governor Cuomo has said that he's very thankful 
to President Trump and that President Trump has followed through on his words. You heard Bill Murphy yesterday during the FEMA briefing, Bill Murphy of, of New Jersey, say the same thing. Yes. So you are, you are seeing these governors from around the country not follow the lead of the media, not follow the lead of the members of the press who are just obsessed with themselves and, oh, no, someone's feelings got hurt. They're, they're following the lead of the people and saying that President Trump is doing a good job, and you've seen that in the polls. The poll came out today that President Trump, ABC poll actually, that President Trump has about 55% yes. approval. On, on, is, on this issue, on, on uh, dealing with the coronavirus, correct. which is very impressive. Which is very, very impressive, and it's very important because what that's, what that's saying is that, pre- is that the American people are seeing that President Trump's decisive actions, decisive actions are working, and that he's doing everything he can to keep America safe, secure, and healthy. And that is absolutely vital. Absolutely vital. Uh, and if, if you, there was actually another poll that came out more recently even today. ABC, I believe, was within the last 24 hours. This is in the last 14 hours. You had a poll come out, a Harris poll. President Trump's approval rating, overall 53% handling COVID coronavirus, 56%. Stimulating jobs, 60%. The economy, 60%. Fighting terrorism, 58%. Immigration, 53%. Foreign Affairs, 52%. Administrating the government, 51%. So what does that tell you? The president is in good shape. That's why we have Boris on the bat for 1600 and on our show, America First, every week. Because he knows when the polls come out by the hour. This came out 14 hours ago. This came out 18 hours ago. This guy is a professional. Check out uh, breakfastwithboris.com and follow him on Twitter, Boris EP. Um, I, I want to talk about the campaigns. I want to talk about the political consequences of what's going on. But just one last thing on, on the Wuhan Chinese coronavirus. I've been hammering this on our show the the we've got to be so careful not to spread and not to fall for fake news and conspiracy theories in today's white house briefing we had an incredible response on this issue and this comes from secretary azar when he was asked about shortages in medical supplies. And this is the man who is one of the faces of the professional response. He's not a politician. And he had exactly the right response. This is Secretary Azar today in the White House press briefing on the Chinese coronavirus threat. Cut for. We do hear anecdotally occasionally of, say, a public health lab or another one that has a concern about this supply or that supply. Um, Through FEMA, we actually are standing up a laboratory task force to answer those questions. Usually it's that the lab people do not understand that there are actually alternative supplies in the marketplace that they are perfectly free to use. We've actually had to put out some common myths and truths about that. For instance, the other day, we were getting calls from governors saying, we don't have swabs, there are no swabs, there are no swabs. Our supply people went in the open marketplace and bought 200,000 swabs in the open market, and I just sent a letter to every governor sending them swabs. So some of it's just they aren't listening or checking with us about all the freedom, all the capacities out there. It's a complex system with 330 million Americans and all of these labs. So sometimes there's a lab that doesn't understand how much flexibility they have and how much supply there is out there. And we're working through the new FEMA Integration Center to help correct that for folks. 
even when it comes to something as simple as swabs and the availability of swabs there's hysteria there's fake news there's misreporting i spend a chunk of my day every day boris after the show pushing back on dms on facebook saying guys that's not true that's an anecdote stick to reliable sources are you having to do a bit of that yourself of course there's a lot of that going on there's a lot of anecdotal evidence a lot of you know people seeing something and putting it out there and you know unfortunately what you're finding it's sort of in our everyday life think of yelp reviews right most time people do give reviews when something's negative yes so a lot of those a lot of those anecdotal uh, uh, stories are negative and then what that does is it perpetuates panic so we need to listen to our government, we need to listen to the governors, we need to listen to the president, we need to listen to his administration, to the coronavirus task force that is very strong with Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, headed up, of course, by our vice president, Mike Pence. That is who we should be listening to. Those are the sources. And those people are doing a good job as evidenced by these approval ratings. Yes. ABC had President, president Trump at 55% approval on the handling of corona and 43 disapproval. Yeah. That is a serious, serious number. No. Very, very serious. No. It's good news. It's good news. So let's let's move to the purpose, uh, the, the mission of our podcast, Battle for 1600. We are getting every single day people saying, you love this podcast, this extra access to Boris and myself. This is to prepare you to understand everything that's going on politically for the next 227 days here in America. Uh, Political life continues. What are the consequences of the current situation for the Democrat Party and for the president and his campaign? Uh, we, We had, just a few days ago, three Democrat candidates or nominees. We had Joe Biden. We had Bernie Sanders, and then we had Tulsi Gabbard, but things have changed, have they not, Boris? They have. They have. Congresswoman Gabbard is out, and now it is just Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders is struggling. Bernie Sanders had a very tough time on Super Tuesday 3, lost Illinois, he lost Florida, and he lost Arizona. Ohio pushed back its primary uh, and more states are doing that now. Indiana is pushing back its Connecticut is pushing back its primary. And Ohio already did. More others are doing so as well. So you're going to see an issue in that it is unclear when the Democrats are going to be able to finish their process because of this coronavirus. We talked about that on America First with you yesterday. If they cannot finish, if Democrats cannot finish the process, Biden is going to go into the convention, however that convention looks whether that convention is virtual, whether that convention is physical, whether that convention is you know, without a crowd, however it looks, he's going to go into that convention with a majority, but not, with a plurality, but not a majority of the delegates. What does that mean? He will not have gotten to that 1,991. Yes. Right now, Biden is at 1,187. Sanders is at 886. It is virtually impossible for Sanders to overtake him but when could Biden clinch? It's now unclear. Do you know why? Because we do not know. We do not know when the primary contests are going to take place. So this, this is why Bernie's not dropping out, correct, Boris? It looks that way. Because if they, if they said, okay, we're not going to hold any more primary contests. That's it. Okay? Then they would have a convention now. Biden has a plurality of the available delegates, not a majority. And then the remainder of the delegates, the delegates that are still up, Pennsylvania has a huge hall of delegates. New York, huge hall of delegates. New Jersey, huge hall of delegates. 
all those delegates then can decide what they do at convention. So what does that become? Automatically, it is a brokered yes. convention. Now, now let me let me run a, a scenario past you. Um, if, say, God willing, the 15 days of social distancing breaks the back of the Chinese coronavirus in America and we, we see the, the numbers stabilize and then to significantly drop in terms of those who are uh, being identified as, as catching it and then also the fatalities drop. If business gets back to usual quickly, and I mean in a matter of weeks, not months, there are still voices, Boris, out there amongst the Democrats. And we, we've seen this with, I think it was Clyburn. Uh, we saw it with others who say, just finish it already. We don't need any more primaries. There seems to be a kind of the fix is in attitude already. Um, do you think that will per- perpetuate? Do you think that if we come out of this quickly, we'll see people trying to do an end run around Bernie as happened last time in 2016 with, with Hillary's superdelegates? Or is there going to be a more healthy resurgence? Because for me, he just doesn't look like the guy who wants this. This is the person who fought against Hillary and then endorsed Hillary. If we get out of this quickly, are there going to be shenanigans is what I'm asking, Boris. Well, they're already shenanigans. You're already seeing it. You saw it by how the Democrats really coalesced around Joe Biden. You're seeing what's happening, and and that is the Democrats do not want this socialist and Bernie Sanders, Bolshevik Bernie, as you call him, which I love. They don't want him as the nominee. And they think that that Joe Biden, the tired, no longer charismatic, strangely acting, gaff-prone Joe Biden is their best chance and you know what? If that's what they believe, God bless them. But that's going to leave a very, very angry, angry base of Bernie supporters. Bernie bros. The They're angry Bernie, Bernie bros. bros. Yep. And, and those people, a lot of them are populists. A lot of them uh, are members of unions. There is no way they're voting for Joe Biden. And a lot of them are going to go either stay home or they're going to go and they vote for Donald Trump. And right now, Donald Trump is a wartime president. Yeah. And we all know, if you look at the history of this country, the wartime presidents tend to win elections this when they do is, as good of a job is, as he does. Oh, my gosh. Stop it, Boris Epstein. You're stealing my next question. Sorry. You're doing a Vulcan mind meld on me. He's sitting in a remote location in his bunker. I'm in the studio. And he literally stole my next question. That's why he's Boris. That's why he's a pillar of our show and also the co-host of The Battle for 1600. So this this was, you know, we, the people, you know the feedback. You see it as much as I do, Boris. People yeah. love the interaction between two of us, there's some kind of chemistry there. Okay, I'm not going to say anything more because I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that modern. And then there's um, the story. People love having a longer opportunity to hear our personal stories from the campaign, from the White House. They just love that stuff. And I do too. I mean, human beings love stories. And then I think that the, the thing that I didn't realize about you, and it's definitely um, appeared during the show America First – is this, you know, you may be a lawyer, you may be a political operator, you may be, a, you know, a former White House a veteran, but you also have a historic perspective that I, I don't know, maybe it comes from your grandparents, your family background, uh, leaving, uh, you know, the former Soviet Union, but you have a historic perspective that you inject now and again into everyday political analysis, and it's, it's, it's invaluable. So this was my next question. Um, God willing, God willing, the fatalities stop very, very quickly. 
even if they don't, if we see more aged people succumb to this, um, we really are in, in, a, in a type of war at the moment. It's against what the president calls an invisible enemy. Okay. Um, the idea that the American people want to remove the commander-in-chief and replace that person with anybody, let alone a person like Joe Biden, who's not just a gaff machine, he, he seems to have cognitive issues, is so counterintuitive. When a, when a nation is at war, when America's at war, you know, we tend to want to keep the guy who's got his hand on the helm in control of our federal government. Is that your expectation in, what is it, my gosh, less than six months' time? It is. And I appreciate you saying that about the historical perspective. My grandfather was actually a history professor. Ah, well, there you go. It's in the genes. It's in it the is, genes. It is in the genes. And uh, I've always been a huge fan of history. And I believe that history gives us a guidance. It is not a map for the future, but it is no. guidance for the future. And it's important to know it, important to understand it, and use it as that guidance. So if you look at the history of this country, in, in, and let's go back to the Civil War, right? Right. So going back to the Civil War, there uh, Abraham Lincoln won an election during the Civil War, 1964, right? 1864, I'm sorry. 1864, yes, Abraham, right. Abraham Lincoln wins. Then fast forward, let's say the next big war is World War I. Woodrow Wilson wins in 1916. Then you fast forward to World War II. Uh, FDR wins in 1940 and 44. Yep. You go back. You go forward to the Korean War. And in, in 1954, you had Ike winning, Eisenhower Ike, winning. Eisenhower, right. Now, that was after the, the official cease of hostilities. Keep in mind, the war actually has not even ended up no, to now. No, it's, it's a ceasefire. <laughs> right, it's a ceasefire. But it was still really on, 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 you know, on the end of that war. It was on the heels of that war, so 54. And then you go to Vietnam, and you know, the election probably that sort of means the most for that one would, would be two of them. It would be 64, where LBJ won a re-election, and then it would be 72, where Nixon won a re-election. So you have all these wars, and during these wars, the presidents have, tend, have tended to win, and then you go forward to 2004, when George, uh, George W. Bush won a re-election during the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq. So if you compile all of that, you put all of that together, the only president really actually that's lost a re-election after being a wartime president, was H.W. Bush. Yes. But Desert Storm was already over by the time the 1992 election rolled around. Correct. Indeed. And right. it, it was fully done and fully baked. We, we didn't feel at war, and it was, the, it was a 100-hour ground campaign. 100-hour, not 100-day, 100-hour ground campaign. Correct. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a three-, four-year war like the Korean War was, no. that then there was a, maybe a ceasefire, but the hostilities were not yet over. So... It, putting all of that together, it, what, what comes out is a picture that a president of the United States who prosecutes a, a war, which is what we are in now. We yes. are a war against this enemy, this virus. It is a full-on battle. A president who prosecutes that war, those battles, and does it strongly is likely to win re-election. That's what it says. What, what is the – is there any effect, tangible effect, negative effect – on, we've talked about the possible permutations of what happens with the Democrat convention, if there are more primaries, if there aren't, and what happens to the Bernie bros base. What are the tangible effects, negative or otherwise, of the current situation we're in 
um, for the Trump campaign. When, when you can't have rallies, does it really matter? Because you have even more exposure of the president because every day he's giving a national address from the podium because of our response to the virus. So it, what's the feeling inside the campaign? Is, does it make any difference? It's interesting that you said that because that was going to be my answer to you. My, that the president does his rallies and they're amazing. Right. And and when he the camp, when the 2016 campaign was going on, as I remember well, and so do you. Those rallies used to get picked up by all the all the channels, and they would be they would be carried live. As the media turned more and more against the president, now maybe Fox News carries the rallies, but not so much the rest. Mm-hmm. So there is a the president, the president's ability to speak to his people is now more through Twitter, more through Instagram, more through right. Facebook, more through other social channel means, and then through television when he does his press conference and when he speaks on the way to the helicopter. But now he's out there doing these press conferences every day, being himself, being direct, being hopeful and optimistic and realistic. And that's what, that's what the supporters of President Trump want. So even today you had in that exchange you had with Peter Alexander. And I've known Peter, and Peter's a nice enough guy. But Peter kept go- Peter from NBC News kept going at President Trump, kept going at him and saying, well, aren't you giving people false hope about this malaria drug? Well, guess what? From everything that I know, and I think you've seen the same, Sebastian, is that this malaria drug has been, has been tried in France yes. in the battle against the coronavirus. Right. And from what I've seen, it had a 100% success rate. That's what I've seen online. I'm not a doctor. I did not stay to Holiday Inn Express. But that is what I've seen, and you had you had uh, you had Doctor Oz talking about it. You know, a, a media doctor. Right. This this isn't this isn't some rumor on the internet. This is French medical professionals saying this seems to work. We have to confirm it, but this is a long time established drug, and it seems to have a positive effect on the coronavirus. And the media tried to hammer the president, saying this is giving false sense of security. Exactly, and in, what they should have done instead is said, "Well, you know what? That is very interesting, and we want uh, and and Mr. President, how hopeful are you? How optimistic yes. are you? Right. And do you think this is you know this is really going to work? That's what we want to see from the media. And the president, you know what? He did the right thing. He said, "You know what? I'm here to give the people answers and give the people hope." And what reporters are doing is they're trying to sensationalize. And he went after Peter Alexander about that. And then, of course, the other reporters all banded together. They do this thing all the time. When anybody in the media dare be offended, <laughs> it's, you know, the world is ending. They don't care about the coronavirus. They don't care about anything bad else, SARS, H1N1. No, it's, oh, my God, somebody criticized a reporter. It must be the end of the world. Oh, uh, but did you see? I know you did. Uh, we had that uh, reporter, Chanel Ryan from OAN, ask a rhetorical question of the president yesterday saying, is calling Chinese food Chinese racist? Well, right. why should... And then what happened? Did you see the note? So in the basement of the White House press briefing room, there are some certain cubicles for, for the journalist and somebody who was too much of a coward to actually write the note in their own handwriting that could be recognized, printed a note and left it on her desk saying, do you think your question really helped? So I guess th- there isn't that much loyalty amongst certain journalists. No, no, no. It's just the members of the so-called mainstream media. Yes. And you know what? God bless them. They have a job to do. But their job is not to misinform the American public. Their job is not to be critical of the president. And even today I was watching it and you know, I saw a couple of people's body language in that room just watching the press conference. And they seem angry at the president. Yeah. 
Well, what they should be is they should not have a feeling toward the president. They should be taking what he says, writing it down, and reporting the facts. They should be serving the American people by forwarding what the government is doing to keep them safe. But no, you're right. You're right. The body language is so telling that they have a personal animus, Correct. not only because of its, its political, but also, I think, Boris, and tell me if I'm out of line here, because you know you, you, you can be my sanity check. I think some of them don't like it when they see him being successful. Is, well, that, think, not, is, that, is that not fair? Well, a lot, most of these reporters, and you know, I interacted with a lot of them in 2016, and you know, a, a good amount of these folks, David Jackson from, from USA Today is a great reporter and a friend. Uh, Steve Holland from Reuters is a good straighter reporter. And there are others who are good reporters. But some of these folks, they're not really reporters. They're, they, they are more commentators. They're well, more or opi- activists. They're even opinion activists. Folks or activists. And they all wanted Hillary to win so bad. Yes. And let me ask you this question. There's no question that we are in a crisis, that COVID-19 is bad, that co- the coronavirus is a real threat. But w- wasn't the swine flu also a real threat? And do you remember press briefings or, or press conferences with President Obama when, when the media went after him like this? I, can't, I, I can't remember combative press. This is the biggest thing. This is, you know, what I realized three days ago. Every bloody press briefing with the president, sooner or later in the last three and a half years, has become combative. What is wrong with that picture? Why every single one? Boris, that just tells you everything, doesn't it? We've, the president, ever since the campaign, we've been in this never-ending tug-of-war yeah. with the press. Right. And the, uh, most of them, you know the numbers, over 90% of the media is liberal. Yeah. That's just what it is. And, and for some But not reason, only that, not only the figures, we have the figures that over 90% of, of journalists vote Democrat, but also we have the figures from the Media Research Council that more than 92% of the coverage of the president is negative, negative. Boris. Even through this, this is a time when... America has to come together. Yeah. We have to band as one and, and fight this. And you know, the president talked about it. You're actually seeing it on the Hill. You're seeing people work together. President Trump is working with Chuck Schumer. He worked with Nancy Pelosi to get the second coronavirus. This is going to be the third bill now. He get the second bill passed and now signed. Yeah. He, he signed two already. He's going to sign a third when that gets done. So you're seeing bipartisanship. So why can't all of the media do the same? Just say, you know what? And listen, I'll tell you this. We are sitting here, and, and I think we've both done it. I mean, there's no question that I'm a big-time big supporter of the president. So are you. But I've talked to you yesterday in America first. So I think Dana Bash from CNN did a good job when she said yes. that the president's comments were remarkable. Right. I'm sitting here telling you that. I, 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 I mentioned Cuomo. I mentioned right. Newsom, right? Newsom, I don't exa- need to. I don't need to. Exactly. We right. sit here and we talk about these liberal politicians. And you know what? I'll tell you something else. I think Andrew Cuomo is making himself a political option for 2024. I think President Trump wants re-election. Well, look, he looks a little bit more reasonable, doesn't he? He looks a bit more like a reasonable leader. Right. And, you know, for a Democrat, he also knows what he's saying, knows what state he's in. So (laughs) that'll be a nice change for them after they get crushed (laughs) in in, in 2020. Now, I'm not saying that that Cuomo is going to come out and he's going to be the nominee and the president, but what I'm saying is that you know, as somebody who's an objective observer, Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom are going to be options for Democrats in 2024 after President Trump wins re-election. Because of 
being a little bit reasonable right now. Correct. Massively good observation. So if we are, if you and I are able to say that, why can't everyone else in the media just say, you know what? The American people are speaking. They're yeah. saying President Trump is doing a good job. Why don't we sit here and ask him questions that are detailed instead of trying to play gotcha and trying to negate a hopeful thing that the president was saying, which is not baseless at all. The president said that he believes, based on everything he knows, everything he sees, keep on, he's the commander-in-chief, and he has every piece of information. He, he sees what we don't see. And exactly. And we both know that from working on the White House, right? He has all that information. He sees what no one else sees, what we don't see. And he's saying, you know what? Based on my understanding, I believe that this malaria drug is working, could be the answer. And he says it could uh, be a game right. changer. It could be. Correct. Right. And Dr. Fauci, who's a doctor, right? So he's going to be more technical about it. You know, I'm a lawyer. You ask me a legal question, I'm going to give you a three-part answer. You ask someone else who's a, not a lawyer, you can give you a simpler answer, right? But Dr. Fauci goes up there and says, and it's his right to do so. He says, there have not been clinical trials. We're seeing. And then Dr. Fauci actually himself said, we're not disagreeing. I'm just giving you a more technical answer. Right. And then you have yesterday, as uh, Stephen Hahn of the FDA say that this is possibly something that could work. He's not a politician. He's not the president. He's not the vice president. That's uh, the FDA, Stephen Hahn, saying right. this chloroquine is being reported to be effective. So, wow, amazingly important. Okay, Boris, um, last – let's – look, the Battle for 1600 has a certain purpose. It's, it's keeping people informed for the next 227 days about what's going on on the Democrat side, what's going on on the, on the presidential re-election campaign. But we are in a very special situation right now. I'd like to ask you as a friend, as a co-host of this podcast, a regular in America First, any special message for all of our listeners out there at this time, this, this historic time? We, we had Newt Gingrich on the show uh, this week, and he said – most of life is just politics, but sometimes you realize you're living in history, and we are living in history. So what's your message right now for, for us living in history across America today? Well, that's a very thoughtful question, and I appreciate your friendship, and I appreciate what we're doing here at Battle for 1600. And it's great to talk to folks, and it's great the reception that we are getting about the podcast. You know, we have both lived through historic moments in uh, yes. in, in the last 75 years, right? I was a kid when Chernobyl happened, and I remember. I remember the. Past. He looks a little older than he than he is. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm 49. He's even younger. But I'm 30. Yeah, I'm 37. Believe it okay, or not, right. right? It's it's the hairline. So, <laughs> you know, I was a kid when Chernobyl happened. I remember when the Berlin Wall oh, fell. I so remember it. I lived. We were in Moscow in 1991 when when the attempted the coup. overthrow the overthrow of Gorbachev the coup happened, right. and then I, I was in DC on 9/11. You know, we've lived through these moments, and you've had a huge share of yours. We've lived through these moments that are history, and you look back on it and you think, okay, a country united then, you know, or a history moved then. On 9/11, a country united. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, in 1991, back back in Russia, the, that country that I was in united against a takeover by the hard, communist hardliners. The country was done with it, you know, yeah. and that really th that went to, to be the fall of the Soviet Union, the fall of that full on communist regime. So it's all about and it, again, Berlin Wall. It's the unity of the unity of Germany. Right. So every time that that. People, human beings unite. They unite against dictatorship. They unite against terrorism. They unite against attacks. And now we're, we have to unite against this virus, this real 
deadly threat of this virus. We have to unite. We can't be dividing each other. And we have to be listening to the guidelines put out by the government. Do not, do not ignore it. People who are going to the beach in Florida, that's a mistake. I love the beach as much as the next guy, okay? I love going to a beach bar, love having a beer, love having a good time. But right now, we have to be vigilant because keep in mind, even if you're young and you're healthy and you're vivacious, you could catch it. You could not have any symptoms, but you could bring it back and you give it to a loved one who is older, a loved one who has other, med- who has other medical problems. These are real, real threats. So let's just tighten it up for, you know, about the next, it's not even 15 days anymore. You know, it was 15 days from a couple of days ago. For yeah. the next two 10 weeks. 10 days, right. Yeah, about right. 10, 12 days. Just stay home as much as you can. Go buy what you need and stay home. Let's let this thing pass. Let's pray to God and prayer. So much has a room right now. You know, somebody online a, a week or so ago or maybe two weeks, you know, they made light of, President, of Vice President Pence and President Trump and others praying through this. But there's time for prayer. So, you know, talk to the higher beings that you believe in. Take time to pray. Take time to be with your families. But really, be safe. Be healthy. Be careful. And let's pray that this thing, that this, the, the drug against malaria can be used. And I think, I hope that I'm hearing that it can. And maybe that is a whole game changer. And if we get through this thing, and we get back to lead, leading our lives. And that's what we want to do. Thank you for, for saying that. It's, it's something that I, I, I try to inject now and again when, when, when the, the muse uh, grabs me. But I, I haven't done it enough in the last five days. And it, it really is important. G- give some of us worry more than others. I, I, I don't. I'm an eternal optimist. Me too. There, there me are people too. around me in my family who aren't, who are the opposite. If, if you're one of those people, if you, if you see the worst, if you worry more than others, give it to God. Take, take time, sit down, read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, pray, talk to your Creator, and give it to God. Because now is, you, you mustn't allow the dark forces, the worry to eat you inside. We have to stay strong. As Boris said, we have to come together. On a practical note, not a spiritual, both of these things complement each other, but we've done the spiritual. Let's talk about the practical. Listen to what Boris said. You must not allow yourself to be taken hostage by things that are not true, that are spread by fear mongers or people who wish to politically or financially profit from the tragedy that others are facing. So rely upon sources that you have that have already demonstrated themselves to be trustworthy. Whether it's listening to our shows on Salem, whether it's listening to you know the Sinclair Broadcast Group, whether it's listening to you know the thirteen conservative sites that I have brought together and said these are the reliable sources. And most important of all, right now, listen to our former boss. We worked for President Trump for a reason. It was the highest pinnacle you know it was the greatest honor for boris for myself if you want to know the truth don't listen to the anecdotes don't look at the facebook memes or what somebody told you in a dm go to whitehouse.gov every day go to cdc.gov they're even posting short two-minute videos on youtube if you go to youtube you'll see the latest update from cdc it takes a minute a minute and a half watch those and then lastly coronavirus.gov Boris is right. We chose this country. Why? Because it is the greatest nation on God's earth. It will remain the greatest nation on God's earth, but it is more important than ever that we all do our part, be part of the solution. Even if you're young, you're healthy, don't be the person that brings 
home this illness to your grandmother, to the person next door who's maybe young but has just had surgery and they are they have an immunocompromised system. Let's be thoughtful out there. And above all, let's be happy warriors. God bless you, Boris. You are a credit to this nation. And I'm very excited to be your co-host here on the Battle for 1600. Spread the word if you like this show. Follow Boris on Twitter, Boris EP. I'm Seb Gorka on Twitter. And my friends, we will get through this together. Thank you, Seb. God bless you, my friend. God God bless bless your family. God God bless bless everybody. Thank you. Thanks.